I'm Ed Adams, and this is the Weekly Genealogy Toolkit, the podcast that helps new genealogists get the most out of their research time and avoid the most common pitfalls. It's really nice when you have a genealogical research question that ends up getting answered by a source nice and neatly. It's the only kind of source evidence that most of us look for when we first get started. If you want to know who an ancestor's father was or how many children they had, you want to find that single document that just has the answer. The problem is, if that's all you're looking for, then you're leaving so many answers undiscovered, and it's time to start learning about the types of evidence that you're going to find in sources. Let's start with what is evidence. The death certificate is not evidence. It's just a source that contains information. There's typically a load of information in your typical death certificate. The form itself has information before it's even filled out. Does it say Commonwealth of Virginia death certificate? Well, that's information. But is it evidence? Probably not. Unless your research question was, what state issued the death certificate for so-and-so? The evidence is information that is pertinent to the research question at hand. So if your question is, when did Samuel Baker, husband of Emma Jane Schreiber of Roanoke, Virginia, die, then you might have everything that you need in that death certificate. If the name on the form is Samuel Baker, and the spouse's name is Emma Baker, and the place of death is Roanoke Memorial Hospital, and the death occurred on 6th March 1965, then you've definitely found a source that has information pertinent to your question. This kind of evidence is called direct evidence. It's that stuff that we always hope to find as we set out looking for the answers to our questions. There's two problems with it, though. The first problem is that depending on a number of variables, the likelihood of finding direct evidence for many of your questions will be very low. The further back in time you get, generally, the likelihood drops even more. The second problem with direct evidence is that we all have a tendency to confuse direct evidence with the truth. Just because it's written on an old form doesn't make it true. Now, I'm going to cover that second issue on a separate episode all about how to analyze sources, but let's talk about that first issue. Let's rewind the tape a bit and assume that you never could find a death certificate for someone that you were sure was your Sam Baker, but you did find a death certificate in Virginia for a Samuel Baker. But on this certificate, much of the biographical information like parents' names, birthplace, and spouse's name are either blank or are listed as unknown. The informant is a man whose name you don't recognize, and the death doesn't occur in Roanoke, where your Samuel Baker lived, but occurs far to the east, Norfolk. This death certificate is of little use to you by itself. You really can't answer your question because you can't even determine that the individual being documented is your ancestor. That doesn't mean there isn't any evidence, though. It just means the evidence may be indirect or negative. Indirect evidence does not make a decisive statement about your question. In this particular scenario, the death certificate does make a direct assertion as to the death of Samuel Baker, but because we have no way of knowing just yet which Samuel Baker the information is about, you can't really say that it's pertinent just yet. We might be able to use other indirect evidence to help isolate whether this is our Samuel Baker or not. Let's look. If I were working on this case, I would start by trying to figure out who the informant was. Based on the missing information, it seems like he must not have been very close. So why was he the one to provide the information to begin with? So let's say I pull up the 1950 census and I find a man with the informant's name living in Norfolk, Virginia. His occupation is listed as passenger director in the rail industry. 
Something about that strikes a bell in my mind. So I go back and look at the 1950 census for my Samuel Baker, and he's living in Roanoke, as I'd expect. And his occupation is listed as conductor in the rail industry. Now I'd be starting to think that maybe this record is the death certificate for my Samuel Baker, but I'm still unsure. That's the challenge with working with indirect evidence. Sometimes you need to collect a lot of it before it becomes something that you can draw a conclusion from. So let's say I keep looking into the informant and find an obituary that talks about how he worked for the N&W Railroad, starting out as a porter and working his way all the way up to station master of the Norfolk Terminal. So then I start looking into the N&W Railroad, and I find a 1965 map of the railway that stretches from Norfolk in the east all the way out to Omaha and Kansas City in the west. I notice that within the Atlantic region, both Norfolk and Roanoke are listed as terminals, and that the Norfolk division line runs pretty directly between the two cities. Let's say I listened to episode one of the podcast, and before starting any of this work, I had spoken with my mom about her life growing up, and she'd recalled the time that she had to wait at the railway station with her mother while they were waiting for the train to arrive with her grandfather's casket after he'd passed due to a heart attack while away for work. Her story was mostly about how odd she thought it was when his casket was offloaded because it looked more like a plain wooden shipping container, and how the funeral home had trouble getting it into the hearse so they could take him back and get him in a proper casket. Seemed like an interesting but unimportant story at the time, but now that I'm looking at everything else I tracked down, it looks like a pretty important bit of indirect evidence. Please don't go back trying to track down old Sam Baker, though, because he's a fictional character. While portions of the example are true of my own family history, other parts are made up to help illustrate the point about indirect evidence. What about negative evidence, though? It's a pretty funny-sounding term, but it just means sources or information on a source that's expected to be there, but isn't. And that absence is potentially suggestive of some sort of conclusion pertinent to your research question. An example of negative evidence, and how it can be useful to help solve a research question, is the question of parentage pre-1850. So before 1850, we don't get full family listings, just the head of household and some gender and age breakdowns by number. I often think that if I had a time machine, one of the things that I would do is go back in time and convince the Census Bureau that this was a bad idea, but here we are, and we still want to be able to go beyond 1850 with a degree of reliability. So let's say that you want to know who the parents of George Fletcher of York District, South Carolina were. You've managed to find him as far back as the 1820 census, but based on what you know from him in the 1850 census, you know that in 1810 he was about 14 and too young to be listed as the head of household. That means he's a dreaded tick mark somewhere. You've looked through the entire county in 1810 and have determined that there were four Fletcher men who seemed to be decent candidates to be his father. So you make a spreadsheet with a row for each of those men and note how many tick marks are in each column by gender and age. Putting them all in a single spreadsheet makes comparison much easier. It's aggravating to try to bounce between multiple census images and to try to compare that way. Since George Fletcher would be about 14 in 1810, he should be a tick mark in the males 10 to 15 column. Let's say you find that two of the candidates have no marks at all in that column. That's negative evidence that both of them are unlikely to be George's father. If either of them were the father, you would expect to see at least one tick mark there, their absence is suggestive, negative evidence. You can rule those two men out for now. Now, you've used negative evidence to rule out a few candidates, but can we use it to narrow down our selection to one? Absolutely. 
Let's say that the two remaining men, Robert and Thomas, both have one male aged 10 to 15 marked in the 1810 census. You decide to look at each of them in 1820. Robert has no tick marks in the male's 16 to 26 column, where you would have expected the male aged 10 to 15 from 1810 to have been in 1820. Thomas does have a tick mark in the male's age 15 to 26 column. This is further negative and indirect evidence that Robert, and not Thomas, is George's father. We know that by 1820, George Fletcher was already living on his own with his wife, so that's likely where the tick mark in the age 10 to 15 column for Robert went. But before you spike the football and start doing your end zone dance, I wouldn't quite call this proved. I think we have enough evidence to strongly suggest that Robert is George's father, but what if George lives on the outskirts of York District? Might he be the son of a Fletcher who lived in Union District? Or perhaps he's the son of a man who's not in the 1810 census because he'd already died, and maybe George was taken in by his uncle, Robert. There's probably a dozen scenarios of varying degrees of likelihood that would make Robert not George's father, so I'd want to do some additional investigating. But now we know who we want to investigate. As an aside, the South Carolina Department of Archives and History website would be a great place to go look for a potential will that might clear things up further. So if you're stuck at what seems like a brick wall because you just can't find a source that fully answers the question, that's okay. There are still lots of answers to be found. And now you've got a couple more tools in your toolkit. I hope I've been able to give you a sense of what to look for, how to correlate indirect evidence across multiple sources, and how to make note of meaningful silence. I feel like I'm at my best as a genealogist when I'm thinking of myself as a detective. Like every source is a crime scene that's got to be dissected fully to understand what happened. By looking at every bit of information on a source and thinking about whether it might directly, indirectly, or negatively pertain to your research question, you'll start to catch more and more things that had maybe escaped you at first. If you find some interesting indirect or negative evidence and want to share, please reach out at the WGT Pod on Twitter and leave a review. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.